0: Help us to have listening ears, to be able to focus on this passage, to focus on this chapter, to focus on the things that You would have us to learn about this, Lord. And again, help us uh, to be able to learn from the Bible, Lord. Give me the words to say, in Your precious name I pray, Amen. Amen. All Alright, well we find ourselves there in Joshua, chapter number 24. And uh, can you believe that we are in the last chapter? of the book of Joshua. We preached through every chapter of the book of Joshua. And it was a long time ago we started the book of Joshua. It's been a very interesting uh, book. Next Sunday night, we'll begin a new book in the, in, in the, in, in the Old Testament, I'm sure, as we preach through uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But we find ourselves here in the last uh, uh, chapter of Joshua and the last uh, uh, story that has to do with the man Joshua. And we really come to the end of this man's life. And right before he's ready to die, he gives the people there uh, one last charge. And if you remember last week we talked about he began kind of to tell them things that they needed to know. And here in chapter 24, he's going to give them one last charge. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 24, the Bible says, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel. And for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So Joshua calls all the people together, you gotta understand, he knows he's ready to die, he knows he's ready to go, and listen, when you've got a godly old man, a godly leader like Joshua, when someone like Joshua speaks, you want to listen. You know what I mean? You want to hear what this man has to say. And these are the last words and the last charge and the last challenge he gives the people. Now here's what you got to understand. Joshua is speaking, but really it is God speaking through Joshua. Look at verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now he begins to speak, but you gotta understand, this is what God was saying. And this is what the Bible is. But you know, people say, the Bible's written by man. The Bible, look, the Bible is God's Word. Alright? God uses men in the same way that you and I use a pen or a pencil. I may use a pen to write something, but it is not the pen that wrote it. It is the, 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 the writer, okay, using an instrument. The men of God were just the instruments used to deliver the word. It's God speaking. Amen. And God brings these words through Joshua. He says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel... And I want you to see point number one here. we got three points tonight. Point number one. Joshua gave them a charge. i to say, what do you mean by the word charge? It means he gave them one last challenge, one last command, one last order, one last thing. You know, just one last time he's trying to challenge the people, encourage the people. Now notice what he does. It's very interesting. Look at verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, that was Abraham's father's name, Terah, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So, he goes back into the history of the children of Israel, begins with the man Abraham, actually begins with Abraham's father, he says, look, Abraham and his dad and his brothers, uh, they served other gods. Look at verse 3. And I took your father, this is God speaking, and I took your father, Abraham, from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. So he says, I took him, I multiplied him, I made him a nation, I gave him this, his son Isaac, look at verse 4, and I gave unto Isaac Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir, to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also, and Aaron... And I plagued Egypt, according to that which I did, amongst them. And afterward, I brought you out. So he's talking about Abraham. He's talking about Isaac. He's talking about Jacob. He's talking about Moses. Look at verse 6. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And ye came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And brought the sea upon them. And covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And he dwelt in the wilderness a long season. He reminds them about that great miracle, probably one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, when God parted the Red Sea and allowed the people to go through. Look at verse eight. "And I brought you unto the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan. And they fought with you. And I, this is God speaking, I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, we preached an entire sermon on Balak, Balaam and Balak. In the series in Joshua, he says, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and, uh, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Persites, and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but with, with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Here's what he's saying. I did not give you these victories with your sword with your bow. He said, it was not you who won these battles. It was not your strength. It was not your power. It was not your military. Look verse 13. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor and cities which ye built not and ye dwell in them and the vineyards and the olive yards which ye have planted not do ye eat. what is the point of all this? Here's what he said. He's reminding them of everything in their history. He's telling them, I did this for you, and I did this for you. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. He said, I "I, I gave you a land. He said, "I, I blessed you. I've been with you. He's reminding them of their history. Why? Look at verse 14. Now, therefore. The word therefore is referring to, he's saying, because of everything that we just talked about. God is saying, because of everything that I've ever done for you. He said, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. Now keep your finger there in Joshua 24. Go with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, just real quickly. Psalm 40. See, this old man, Joshua, this great leader, Joshua, this godly man, Joshua, says, I've got... One last charge. He says, I've got one last challenge. He says, I've got one last thing I want to impart to you. And here's what he says to them. He says, because of what God has done for you in the past. Because of what God has done for you in your past. He said, that is reason enough. He says, therefore, ye ought to fear the Lord and serve God. Are you there in Psalm 40? Look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me, and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And establish my goings. See the cha- the challenge that Joshua gives, the challenge that David gives in the Psalm here, Psalm forty, is this. Now, let me just ask you this, and you don't have to answer out loud. You know, answer this within yourself. But are you saved tonight? Uh, do you have a home in heaven? Are, are you know if you died today, would you go to heaven? I mean, you know, maybe if if you say, well, I don't know, talk to me after the service. I'd love to show you that. But let me tell you something. If God has saved you, and God has delivered you, and God has given you the Holy Spirit, and God has given you victories, and God, you know, has allowed you to come here and be here, and be at a place where you can learn the Bible, and be at a place, be in the United States of America, where you have the freedom to assemble in church, you have the freedom to read the Bible, you have the liberty to learn God's Word, and God has brought you, and many of you, your testimonies would be that God brought the psalmist says, he brought you out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, he set my feet on the solid rock that Jesus Christ, and if God has done anything for you in your past, that's enough reason to serve him now. Amen. That's the challenge of this old man. Joshua says, if God has blessed you, you owe it to God to serve him. He says, if God has preserved you, if God has given you things, if God has been there for you, then you owe it to God to serve Him, and fear Him, and give Him your life. He says, you ought to serve Him. Now, notice what He says. Look at verse 14. You can go back to Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him. You say, how should I serve Him? In sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. See, I said number one, Joshua gave the people a charge, or a challenge. But number two, I'd like you to see, not only did Joshua give the people a challenge, Joshua gave the people a choice. Notice verse 15. I like verse 15 of Joshua 24, is a very well-known verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I like how Joshua words it. Look at verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. What a statement. He says, look, if it's if there's something wrong with serving the Lord, if there's something wrong with serving God, notice what he says. Choose. Do you see that word? He says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He says, look, if God hasn't been good enough to you, if God hasn't blessed you enough, if God hasn't, you know, saving you from hell and giving you a church home and a church family, if God hasn't blessed you enough for you to give your life to Him and give your, your service to Him and say you're going to serve Him in sincerity and truth, He says, if that's not good enough, if there's something wrong with that, He says, then choose you this day whom you will serve. You see that? Whether the gods... Which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, a reference to Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Now, I like Joshua. You can tell he's a real leader. He says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, here's what you understand you should serve God with your life, but you don't have to serve God with your life. God doesn't force you, God gives you a free will. If God was in the business of forcing us to serve us, to serve Him, He would have slapped that fruit out of Eve's hand, you know what I mean? In the Garden of Eden, if God was in the business of forcing us, but God doesn't want to force us to serve Him. God wants you out of a heart devoted to Him, to incline your heart to Him, and to decide that you want to serve Him because you love Him. That's what God wants, is a relationship, where you say, I, I don't serve Him because I'm forced to. You know, we went through all these leadership requirements for the choir. And, and really, our heart ought not to be, well, I'm just going to do what I have to do because I'm in the choir, or I'm going to do what I have to do because I've got to do this. Okay? Honestly, our heart ought to be one that we want to serve God because we love Him. Amen want to serve God because of what He's done for us. But see then, Joshua brings the people to a choice. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. He said, you can serve a lot of gods. He said, have your pick. You can serve the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. He says, I know what I'm going to do. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And see, here's what you've got to understand. Keep your finger there in Joshua 24. Go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 1 Kings, chapter number 18. If you're there in in Joshua, you've got the book of Judges, right after the book of Joshua. Then you've got Ruth. Then you've got 1 and 2 Samuel. And then you've got 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 1 Kings, chapter number 18. It's very interesting. You've got to understand this. God does not just... Challenge people. God always brings you to a place where you must make a choice. First Kings chapter number eighteen, very well-known passage. If you remember the story, Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah. He uh, is there at a face-off with the prophets of Baal. Remember, they they they're trying to see whose God is the most powerful God, and whose God they're going to call down fire from heaven. And of course, we know the end of the story. Elijah calls down fire from God when the gods of uh, uh, the 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 Baal worshippers were not able to do it. But you know, Elijah, which was also a great man of God, you can see his frustration because they they set out this. Ben, you know, and I, maybe that's the wrong word to use. But they set out the, the, this, this uh, contest. They're going to see whose God is the most powerful God. The God of Elijah, the God of the Bible, or the God of Baal, which, is, which was really Satan. All right? And if you remember the story, 400 prophets of Baal, he says, Elijah says, go first. For, they, they set up that, you know, the altar, 400 prophets of God. They start having themselves a worship service. I mean, they are shouting and screaming and, and singing and worshiping. That doesn't work. Remember, they start cutting themselves with knives. Do you remember that? And by the way, cutting yourselves with knives is always connected to Satan worship. That's why, the, remember the demon-possessed man that was in the tomb? Remember, he cut himself because he was demon-possessed. All right, and these prophets of Baal who are worshiping Satan are cutting themselves, and they're doing all this stuff. Remember Elijah? Elijah's a real you know man of God. Elijah starts mocking at them, saying, "Shout a little louder. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's running an errand. Maybe he's you know maybe he's on the phone. You know what I'm saying? He's like you know when's your God coming? They do that. They do that. Doesn't work. They never come, never comes. Elijah, it's his turn. He sets up the altar there. And he does everything in his power. He makes it as hard as possible. He gets it wet. He creates a moat. He does all these things. We know that God comes through. But here's what I want to show you from the story. Look at verse 21. Are you there in 1 Kings chapter 18? Look at verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people. Alright? So... You've got this contest between the the prophet of God and the prophet of Baal. And notice, Elijah came unto the people and said... Notice what he says. How long halt ye between two opinions? They were sitting there trying to figure this out. Whose side are we going to be on? Are we going to go with Elijah? Are we going to go with the Bible? Or are we going to go with the world? Are we going to go with God? Or are we going to go with Satan? And Elijah says, hey, how long halt ye between two opinions? He said, if the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered Him not a word. Do you see that? See, Elijah brings the people to this place where they must make a choice. He says, look, you've got to decide. Are you on God's side or not? Are you serving God or not? Are you going to do this with God? Are you going to be on His side or not? Go to James, real quickly. James, towards the end of your New Testament. James, chapter number 1. James, chapter number 1. And in the same way, you... Here, at Verity Baptist Church, you here, as a New Testament believer, James, right after the book of Hebrews, James chapter number 1, you've got to decide. See, it is not just enough for you to go to church. It is not just enough for you to learn the Bible. It is not just enough for you to come to church on Wednesday night and learn the book of Hosea. Now, we're going to try to make sure you learn the book of Hosea. But that's not enough. It's not enough for you to learn the book of Joshua. It's not enough for you to learn these great Bible stories and these great Bible principles and these great biblical truths. That's not enough. See, it's not just enough that you get challenged and charged. You must also make a choice. Let me ask you this. How many choices have you made when confronted with the Word of God? I mean, you should think this through. Since you've been coming to a Bible-preaching church, since you've been coming to a place that preaches the Word of God, when, when the Word of God is confronted, when you are confronted with God's Word, and the Word of God says, you ought to do this, and the Bible says, you ought to do this, and, and the Holy Spirit begins to say to you, hey, choose you this day, whom ye will serve, what do you do? Do you make a choice? Do you make a decision? Or are you like the people with Elijah and just keep your mouth quiet? And say, well, I can't wait till this service is over so I can get out of here. <laughs> are you there in James? Look at chapter 1, look at verse 22. In James chapter number 1, verse 22. Look what the Bible says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, God does not just want you to hear His word. God wants you to do His word. Are you following what I'm saying? Amen. Yeah. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, you got to understand this. If you're hearing the word, but you're not doing the word, you're not fooling anyone except yourself. Amen. You think, well, I went to church and I heard the word, so I must be right with God. And God says, you're not right with God just because you heard the word. He says, you get right with God when you do the word. Amen. Well, I, well I, I went to church, so I must be right with God. God says, you're fooling yourself because you're not fooling us. So he says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Look like at verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer. So here's a man who hears the word, doesn't do the word, he is like unto a man. Okay, so here's the example. The type of person that comes to church, they hear the Bible preached, they hear the Word of God preached, they hear the, the the messages brought forth, they're brought to a place where they must make a choice and they decide to do nothing. The Bible says, But be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Verse 23, For if any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, look what it says, He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So he says, Here's the example. You're like a person that looks in a mirror. Who, who's looked in the mirror today? I'm sure all of you. None of you raised your hand? Yeah, you all got you all look like the way you do right now. You just woke up that way, right? All of you looked in the mirror. Good night. Amen. I think so. Well, I mean, that well, that explains the way some of you are dressed, I guess. I don't know. Have you ever looked in a mirror? Are you familiar with a mirror? Good night. Are you people asleep? Wake up. Does, any, does anybody know what a mirror... Am I, speak, am I speaking Spanish? I'm speaking in time. Do you know what a mirror looks like? Raise your hand. Do you know what a mirror looks like? Do you understand what a mirror is? Okay. Has anybody ever used a mirror? Okay. Are you awake? Alright. Here's what he's saying. Look at verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer only... He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Alright? Are you following what I'm saying? You understand? This is the mirror. Here's what he says. Look at verse 24. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgeteth what manner of man he was. Here's what he's saying. You go up to a mirror. You wake up in the morning. You're getting ready for church. You go up to a mirror and you make sure you look good right before you get out. You look at your teeth, and there's just a big piece of spinach, you know what I mean? Just right in your tooth. And you think to yourself, i got to take care of that. Because that's going to be nasty, you know, when, when I go out. And then here's what you do. Okay, and then you just forget about it. And you got that piece of spinach or whatever in your mouth, in your tooth. Okay, here's what you and I would say. What was the point of you looking in the mirror? Why did you look in the mirror and identify what's wrong? Hey, I look in the mirror. My tie's all messed up. Oh, man, my tie's messed up. All right, let's go to church. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? You say, that's a silly illustration. That's the illustration. You say, well, why would you look in the mirror if you're not going to correct what you saw? Yes. Why would you look in the mirror if you're not going to fix the problem? You got a piece of broccoli in your tooth. Your tie's messed up. You need a haircut or whatever. You, are you following what I'm saying? Amen. You say, well, why would someone look in the mirror if they're not going to correct what they did? But here's the question. Why would someone come to church? Because look at what it says. Look at verse 24. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Look at verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his church? Why would someone read the Bible? Why would someone be confronted with the Word of God and you see the Word of God and you see what's wrong with your life, but you never fix it? You never change it. Oh, well, man, I gotta gotta fix that. Okay, see you later. See you next Sunday. Say, well, that's silly. It's silly to come to church and hear the Word preached and never apply it to your life. It's silly to be a hearer of the Word and not a doer also. See, Joshua said, I don't want to just challenge you with what's right. He says, I want to bring you to a place where you make a choice. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. He says, make a choice. He says, get on the side. He said, don't be lukewarm. He said, I'd rather, Jesus Christ said, I'd rather you be cold or hot. He said, because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. See, Joshua gave them a challenge. But Joshua also gave them a choice. He says, look, you got you to make a choice about this thing. He said, you got to decide what you believe. You know, and I'm telling you tonight, you got to decide what you believe. Are you a Baptist or not? Are you a Biblicist or not? Are you a Christian or not? Are you sold out or not? Aren't you getting tired of seeing yourself in the mirror, identifying what needs to be corrected, and walking away and never doing anything about it? I can, we can preach and teach and tell you what you got to do all day long, and you could, you could spout it back to me. And say, well, I know what's wrong with my life. I got to get this right, and I got to get that right. And we can spew it and we can quote the verses, but we never do anything about it. And God says you are silly. God says you aren't fooling anyone. He says we know who you are. You are a hearer of the word and not a doer. Go back to Joshua chapter twenty-four. Joshua brings these people to a place where they must make a choice. Joshua brings these people a challenge and a charge. But number three, I want you to see, Joshua gave them a covenant. See, Joshua says to them, here's the charge, here's the challenge. Serve God because what He's done for you. He says, here's the choice, here's the place. Decide now to serve God. He said, if you're not going to serve God, then go serve someone else. But make a choice right now. Look at their response, verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. He said, look, we, we choose God. We want to serve God. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up out of our fathers... Out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we serve the Lord, for He is our God. I hope you can say that tonight. I hope you can say that God of the Bible is your God. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord. For he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. Do you see that? I think we've been learning. Have you, if, if you learn, if you take anything from the book of Hosea, take this: God is a jealous husband. Have you learned that in Hosea? God is not willing to share his people with any other spiritual adultery. You say the word "jealous" in our society is a bad word. Look, let me tell you something: the, good, the word "jealous" is a word good word. Because if you're jealous, like I am very jealous of my wife. What that means is I want to make sure that I don't want any of you guys getting too close to my wife. I'm a jealous husband. You know why? Because I love my wife. Amen. And God's a jealous God. Why? Because He loves His people. He says, verse 19, I, I, all I'm saying is this, your wives, if your your husband doesn't mind you palling around with a bunch of guys and doesn't really care and never, never shows, I'd, I'd be worried. You know what I mean? Look at verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord, he said, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. What part of what side do you want to be on God's good side or God's bad side? You want to be on the side of blessing or on the side of curse? On the side of, uh, uh, of His uh, providence and His prosperity or on the side of His judgment? Because Joshua saying, you can be on either side. It's your choice. Verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have, notice, chosen. He says, you are witnesses that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart. Do you see that? That's what God wants. God wants you to incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our our God will we serve, and His voice will we obey. That's the choice they made. Now notice, He gave them a challenge. He gave them a choice. Notice the covenant. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And set them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. You say, what does that word covenant mean? The word covenant means a formal binding agreement. A covenant is... You, you and I might think of it today in a secular way as a contract. See, it wasn't enough that they heard the challenge or the charge... They had to make a choice. But when they made the choice, Joshua said, Okay, good. I'm glad you've chosen to serve God. Now let's make this a binding agreement. He says, now let's make this a contract. Now let's make this legit. Let's make this so that you cannot get out of this. Look at verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance of Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, and it shall be therefore a witness unto you. Why? Look what it says. Lest ye deny your God. Keep your finger there in Joshua 24. Go go to Colossians real quickly. Colossians. Chapter number one. Colossians in your New Testament, there. Ephesians, Philippians, and then you got the book of Colossians. Colossians, chapter number one. See, it's not enough to hear the challenge, and it's not enough to choose at the challenge. You also got to make it a covenant. You got to make it binding. Are you there in Colossians, chapter one? I'll give you a moment to get there. Colossians, chapter number one. Look at verse 23. Colossians 1 23. If ye continue in the faith... Notice these words. Grounded and settled. You know what that means? It means you're not weak. You know what that means? It means you're not, you're not trying to decide this. You're not trying to figure out, is this something I want to do? If ye continue in the faith, how should I continue in the faith? Kind of just half in, half out, kind of just riding the fence. Like, no, continue in the faith. Grounded and settled. Look what it says: "And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore I Paul and made a minister." Here's the here's the point. Here's what God's saying: Don't just hear the challenge. You come to church. Maybe Pastor Jimenez preaches a sermon, and you about reading your Bible, and you say, "Man, I gotta read my Bible." And the Holy Spirit begins to work on you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And you say, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to take the challenge. I'm going to read nine chapters a day in the month of January. And the month of January comes by, you read those nine chapters, you're all excited, we're all excited, everybody's excited. Then you get out and you say, I'm going to keep reading, and I'm going to read the Old Testament. Let me ask you, how are you doing on that? See, maybe, not only is it good to choose to serve God, sometimes you got to settle and ground that in your heart. Amen. I, I'm going to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Settle that in your heart. I'm, I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to go out soul winning. Every Saturday I'm going to be out there knocking the doors, getting people saved, bringing people to church. Settle that in your heart. I'm going to pray every day. Settle that in your heart. I'm going to stay married. Settle that in your heart. I'm going to serve God with my, heart, with my life. Settle that in your heart. God is not just enough to hear the challenge. We'll take care of the challenge. You come to church and we'll challenge you a lot, alright? And it's not just enough to make a choice. Sometimes you've got to make a covenant and say, I'm sticking to this. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. You're there in Colossians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, a whole lot of people get excited about things and make a whole lot of choices and make a whole lot of decisions. But it's not enough to make a decision without making a covenant. And saying, you know what? I'm sticking to this. I'm sticking to this church thing. I'm sticking to this God thing. I'm sticking to this serving God thing. Are you there In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Look at verse 58. Last verse of the chapter. Chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. The word steadfast means firmly fixed, In place. It means determined. It means you are determined that you're going to do something. Look what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, see, here's what you understand. Some of you have made decisions in your life You've made choices. I'm going to be faithful to church. But then we allow any little excuse or circumstance to just come between that. You say, well, what happened? Here's what happened. You made a choice, but you never made a covenant. Some of you decided, I'm going to read the Bible. And then you stop. Say, well, what was the problem? You heard the challenge. You made the choice. Never made a covenant. So you see, we make decisions. Maybe you decide, I'm gonna be faithful with my tithes. I'm gonna start be honoring God with my tithes and offerings. And, and you said, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna die. Then you had a bad month. Then the PG E came in and it was five dollars more. So you didn't tithe because well the PGE was five dollars more, you know what I mean? See, sometimes we're looking for a reason to not do the things that we've already decided we're gonna do. You'll always have a reason to not do something you've committed to do. But when you choose to do something, if you make a covenant with God, it'll keep you faithful. It'll keep you steadfast. It'll keep you unmovable. It'll keep you always abounding. See, the type of Christians that end their lives like Joshua, the type of Christians that end their life like the Apostle Paul, who are able to say, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. See, I want to get to the end of my life and say, I have fought a good fight. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, I fought a pretty good fight. I fought an okay fight. I fought a mediocre fight. I want to say like, Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And for was laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Go back to Joshua real quickly. Joshua, we've got to finish up. Joshua... Twenty-four. Joshua gave them a challenge. Joshua gave them a choice. Joshua gave them a covenant. Now in conclusion, I want to show you a couple things. You come to the end of Joshua's life. And you have the death of a great leader. Look at Joshua 24, look at verse 29. And it came to pass, after these things, that Joshua the son of Nun... The servant of the Lord died being 110 years old. This was a great, great man of God, a great leader. I don't don't think any of us would argue the fact that Joshua was a great leader, greatly used of God, to bring the children of Israel into the promised land and to conquer the land. I love Joshua. Joshua is like one of my favorite Bible characters in in the Old Testament. I have a son named Joshua. (laughs) To prove that I love Joshua, alright? So I'm not saying this to discourage you about Joshua, okay? If you're looking for a name for your kid, Joshua's a good name, alright? I think Joshua's a great leader. And here you've had the death of a great leader. But you know the mistake that Joshua made. You have the death of a great leader, but you also have the death of a not-so-great mentor. You say, what are you talking about? Well, here's what's interesting about Joshua. Go back to Joshua chapter 1. You say, no, Pastor, we just finished Joshua. You're going to start all over? No, we're not starting over. Let me just show you something. Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the book of Joshua begins with the death of a great leader, and it ends with the death of a great leader. But here's the difference. Now, after the death of Moses, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass... "...that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying..." Now, the word minister there means he was a servant. So, when Moses died, God goes to Joshua, Moses' minister, or Moses' servant, and says, hey, minister of Moses, let me talk to you. And, of course, we have that great challenge where God makes Joshua the leader. Now go to Exodus real quickly. We're almost done here. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at like three or four more verses and then we'll be done. Exodus chapter number 17. But I want you to see this. Exodus chapter number 17. Look at verse number 14. Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 14. Now remember, Joshua was Moses' minister. Alright? Moses had a servant named Joshua. And as you go through the Old Testament, you find that Moses really took Joshua under his wings. Are you there in Exodus chapter 17? Look at verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Now, the context, I don't have time to go through it, but the context, the children of Israel just won a great battle against the, the worldliness, you know, just the, 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 the worldly tribes. And Joshua was actually the leader that led that battle. And God says to them, after they win this battle, they get this victory. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. He says, I want you to write this so people can remember it. A memorial in the book. Look what he says though. Very, Very interesting. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So they win this victory, and God tells Moses, He he says, I want you to remind Joshua about this. From time to time, I want you to take Joshua and say, Hey Joshua, remember when God won that great victory? Let me rehearse it. Let me tell you about what God has done. You see the time that Moses is spending with this man Joshua? Go to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. Look at verse 13. Exodus chapter 24, verse 13. Exodus 24, verse 13. And in all things that I have said unto you... Exodus chapter... What did I say? 24? I'm in the wrong chapter. Exodus 24, verse 13. Exodus 24, verse And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua... And Moses went up into the Mount of God. So it's interesting. Moses goes up to the Mount of God. Nobody goes with Moses. But who goes? His minister Joshua. So you've got Moses talking to Joshua, reminding him about the things that they've done. You have Joshua going with Moses to meet with God. Go to uh, Exodus 33. Look at verse 11. Exodus 33. Look at verse 11. Exodus 33, verse 11. Remember when God got to talk... Or Really, when Moses got to talk with God... In a very intimate way. And there in Exodus 33 verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Wouldn't you like to be have a relationship with God like that? Very few people have. But notice. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun. A young man. It's just a young man. Departed not out of the tabernacle. See, when Moses got to talk with God face to face, no one else in Israel got to do that. But you know, Joshua, this young man, was allowed to be there. When Moses went up to the mount of God, no one else got to go, but Joshua, the minister of Moses, got to go with him. When they won that great battle, God says, hey, make sure you rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Make sure you talk to Joshua about this. You say, I don't understand. What what do you mean? What's going on? Go, Go back to Joshua 24. See, here's the thing. Throughout the life of Moses, you see Moses taking this young man Joshua under his wing. But you know that throughout the life of Joshua, we don't really see a young man hanging out with Joshua. Did you notice that in the life of, in the book of Joshua, we don't really see a young man that Joshua is spending time with. We don't really see a young man that Joshua is talking to. We don't really see a young man that says, "Hey, hey, come with me. I'm going to go talk to God. Come with me. I'm going to go meet with God." You don't see. Joshua was a great leader, but here's what he was lacking. He was not a very good mentor. Moses took Joshua under his wing and mentored him and prepared him so when the time was right Joshua was able to take on that leadership role of the children of Israel but the sad thing is this when a great leader died by the name of Joshua there was no man to take his place you say well is that really that big of a deal are you there in Joshua 24 look at verse 31 and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua that sounds like a good thing And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, that sounds like a good thing. And which had not known all the works of the Lord that He had done for Israel. You say, well, they served God. Here's what that verse is saying: They served God while Joshua and the people that were alive during Joshua's time, while they were alive. You say, what's the big deal? Go to the book of Judges, chapter number two, the very next book after the book of Joshua. You got the book of Judges. Judges, chapter number two. Look at verse eight. Judges, chapter number two, verse eight. Judges two deals with the same story we're dealing with right now. Joshua's death and look what it says. Judges, chapter number 2, verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being hundred and ten years old. And they buried him on the borders of the inheritance of Tithnath-Hiris, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and And there arose another generation after them, notice what it says, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. See, here's what you understand. Joshua's generation served God. You know why? Because Moses made sure when he was gone, that there would be another man to take the leadership role. But unfortunately, when Joshua died, there was no man to take that role. And when Joshua died, the children of Israel began to serve other gods. They did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. I wonder, and if you've ever read the book of Judges, judges the entire book of Judges is the children of Israel serving a false god, God judging them, they get right with God, then they get you know comfortable, they serve another god, God judges them. You know, they go into captivity. They get right with God. Then they get comfortable. Does that sound like your Christian life? God has to judge us in order to bring us close to Him. But I wonder if the entire book of Judges could have been, you know, just bypassed. If Joshua would have just trained the leader. My question for you is this. When you die, when your life is over, what will you have to show for? Who are you training? I hope if you're a parent, you're training your kids. The Bible says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it." But do you have a convert?
1: Hey, look, I'm I'm, I'm
0: all for our, our soul winning. I'm all for our, our you know going out, knocking doors, getting people saved. I'm all for that. But we're not one of these one, two, three, repeat after me. You know, just let me let me show you let me show you this one verse real quick, and then just say this prayer so I can I can put it in the bulletin. We're not about that. And I'm all for praying with people and getting them saved. I mean, if you're not so with me, we do that every week. But at the same time, we're trying to train people and disciple people and show people who are you investing your life into. Who are you mentoring? Who are you helping? Who are you bringing alongside with you and saying, when I'm gone, I want to make sure this thing continues on after me. I want to make sure this church continues on after me when I die. I'm not planning to die anytime soon, right? But when I'm gone, I want to make sure this thing goes on. And you know, in your family, the spiritual lighthouse should not go out with your dad. You know, uh, we used to be into that church thing, but mom, when mom died, we just all went to the world. That's a bad testimony. We ought to be training and investing ourselves. and You say, well, I'm a great leader. Be a great mentor. Invest yourselves in the lives of others. I think the entire book of Judges could have been bypassed if Joshua... What it just took some young man somewhere, at some point, and said, Here, let me show you how to lead these people. So when I'm gone, you can be there to provide that spiritual leadership. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. Thank You for our church. And Lord, I ask that You'd please uh, just bless us, Lord, and as we finish the book of Joshua. Lord, and we, we have learned so much out of the book of Joshua. And I love the character, the man Joshua. I can't wait to go to heaven and get to meet Joshua. I think he's a great, great man. And Lord, there are many, many things we can learn from Joshua. Many great characters we can learn, leadership lessons we can learn from Joshua. But Lord, help us to learn from Joshua also that we need to invest ourselves in others. And mentor others. And take people personally and say, hey, let me, let me help you with this Christian life thing. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a church filled with people that want to love others and invest themselves in others and see others grow and learn. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.